I didn't always want to have my own business. Um, I've taken, I guess a lot of kids have like, you know, they want to be an astronaut, they want to be this, and then it always is going to evolve. I was convinced that I was going to be a vet for a very long time, so I've always loved animals. And then that switched to um, environmental science, and then that switched to anthropology, and then that switched, and it switched and switched. And uh, I think kind of life kind of guides you by, you know, like, um, hardships or just like, you know, sometimes failing kind of guides you into where you're really supposed to sit and you really find that groove. Welcome to The In Factor, where we explore the entrepreneurial journeys that blend passion, resilience, and a commitment to creating something extraordinary. I'm your host, Dr. Rebecca White, and today we're joined by Tony Miller, the visionary owner of Mill Pond Estate, a haven of natural beauty for weddings and creative projects. From her roots in Barbados to a flourishing career in advertising and marketing, Tony's journey led her to create a space where love, creativity, and nature converge. Tony, welcome to The In Factor. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to hear more about your story. We were connected through um, a local entrepreneur in the marketing and advertising space and social media space. And I know you have a history there as well. But let's start first by talking about your business, Mill Pond Estate. What do you do? Tell us all about it. And then we'll dig into a little bit more about you. Sure thing. So, yeah, so I am the owner of Mill Pond Estate. It is an 18-acre all-outdoor um, wedding and event space. So, basically, my job is to manicure and mow 18 acres <laughs> and make sure it looks pretty pristine. And then I get to work hand-in-hand with some amazing couples and help them kind of design their, um, their dream event. Um, it's pretty fun. Yeah. You know, I just saw something on the news last night. I, you know, we're both here in the Tampa Bay area and they're having a big wedding uh, conference or convention or something. An expo. Yeah, mm-hmm. expo. And they were talking about the average cost of a wedding. Weddings are big business now, aren't they? They are. Um, and we're kind of seeing um, a little trend to smaller weddings ever since like COVID. Um I find it kind of funny because I like to read these articles that they put on in magazines about brides and stuff like that, about the average cost of a wedding. And what I do find kind of interesting and funny is a lot of these magazines, they'll say the average cost is around like 20K, which is a huge chunk of change for a lot of people. But the weddings that they're actually advertising in the magazines are in like the hundred thousands. So when they when the couples come to me it's a lot of like education about like okay well you know this is a good budget but what you're kind of seeing in the magazines may not necessarily match that so i think a cool idea would be to launch kind of a bridal magazine it's like this is what a 20k wedding actually looks like yeah you know that's a great idea tony i i teach uh, an entrepreneurial marketing class right now and at the university of tampa and a lot of the conversation of course is around creating content for your audience and becoming a trusted expert um so yeah. i think that's a great idea i look forward to having you 
build that magazine. Oh, sure. and, and then I'll be back on. And we'll, yeah, <laughs> we'll have you back on to share that story and talk about it. So that's, I think that's a really cool idea. And I think you're probably right. There's a lot of stress around weddings as well, different expectations mm-hmm. from brides and grooms and mothers of the bride and, <laughs> and oh, other friends. The and, mothers of the brides, they're they can be a, they can be a bit scary. They're intense. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of stories. I'm sure you could tell around that, around that 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 storyline. So let's talk a little bit about your um, your background. I know you've been sure. in advertising and marketing, and I believe you were born and raised in Barbados, I and then came here to the United States. So take us back to the beginning. Um, you know, one of the uh, one of the things that I find very cool about a lot of the islands in the Caribbean is the entrepreneurial spirit there. So, um, did you always want to have your own business, and how did that all happen for you? Um, no, I didn't always want to have my own business. Um, I've taken, I guess, a lot of kids have like, you know, they want to be an astronaut, they want to be this, and then it always is going to evolve. I was convinced that I was going to be a vet for a very long time. So I've always loved animals. And then that switched to um, environmental science. And then that switched to anthropology. And then that switched and it switched and switched. And uh, I think kind of life kind of guides you by, you know, like um, hardships or just like, you know, sometimes failing kind of guides you into where you're really supposed to sit and you really find that groove. So um, once I moved to Florida and I went to University of Tampa, um, I found that communication is kind of really where my strength lies. Um, But it was always in me. For example, um, when I used to work at some of the sanctuaries, I would do tours and that involved talking to people and educating people. So I didn't know that that was going to be my path. But if I look back at it now, I, I am where I was supposed to be in communications, in advertising, in marketing, in education all along. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that I, I first of all, there's a lot of wisdom in that uh, because <laughs> my journey was similar. I changed my mind a lot of times, which I think we have to do, uh, and that's really just testing and exploring, right? And yeah. and which is what entrepreneurship is all about as well. We start with the hypothesis that this business might work, and then we're testing it and modifying it and. Um, we use the word pivoting a lot of times, pivoting constantly to find that right market. So tell me about you. You've uh, you've had a 12 year career, I think, in advertising and marketing. And are you still working in that space and doing the wedding venue, uh, creative events venue on the side? Or is this a full time gig for you now? Yeah. So the wedding an event space is now a full-time job. Um, but I would say I'm still kind of working marketing, marketing, advertising, because that's kind of my main role now. Sure. Um, I've just kind of taken what I've learned and put it in to uh, my own business. So how important has marketing been in building this uh, business? Um, I would say... I would say that's a good question. I would say about 85%. <laughs> and then the rest is just you know, good, um, people skills and then sprinkle a little bit of luck in there. Um, I, I really truly fell into this, um, business. It wasn't something that I got up one day. I was like, Oh, I want to be in the wedding industry. It really was just a, 
a blend of just circumstances that kind of got me to where I was. So, but I would say that marketing and advertising is pretty important. Um, it's a pretty saturated market and figuring out what distinguishes you from other venues is really important and, um, really drilling down to your why of things and, um, your values is really what has helped me in the marketing. Cause I just lean into that when I don't know what to say. I'm like, I go back to the core of why I'm doing it and what, um, makes me happy doing it. And that's how I kind of, um, figure out how to do my marketing. That's, that's fantastic. So how long has, um, how long have you been, uh, how long is, have you been in this business? Um, okay. So, so there's some debate because I would say around COVID in 2020, you know how time just seems a little bit different. So everybody's like, <laughs> yes. was like four years ago, five years ago. Um, so I would say that we really launched around 2020. Um, what happened was that, you know, a lot of wedding venues and events got kind of canceled and shut down. I was just here on my land, kind of just working it um, and like, you know, doing maintenance stuff. And I would find that people were kind of like driving, buying, slowing down, which isn't unusual, but it became a lot. And then one brave soul came to my gate. I was like, "Uh Oh, what is going on now? And they were like, Hey, I don't want to bother you, but um, my wedding got canceled. You have beautiful property here. Can I just have a small gathering, intimate, well, social distance? And I was like, Okay, yeah, sure. That's fine. I'm happy to help. And I don't know. It's just word of mouth kind of just started going. And then I would get more people driving by and seeing people having events here. And they're like, Hey, can I have an event here? And it kind of just like, okay. Um, so that was the luck part, I would say. And then my mom was like, you really need to go with this. I'm like, oh no, I'm scared. <laughs> but then I leaned into my marketing and, and um, what I love about the property too. And that kind of just helped the ball rolling. So that's really cool. You know, I, I usually like to dig in and try to find out how the opportunity emerged. And this, mm -hmm. uh, this business found you, right? Your customers found you, your cust uh, you, you could almost say you crowdsourced this, uh, yeah. this concept because the customers came to you and said, this is something we want. I and you answered did. a lot of crowdsourcing because, um, when I first started, it was just land. It was um, my house and just land. I didn't have any real infrastructure for weddings. So once I started booking, I was like, hey, guys, where do you think we should put the bathrooms? Hey, guys, um, what do you think about this design for the bar? And like, as people were booking, I was asking them what their thoughts on there. They're like, oh, maybe make it a little bit more like um, neutral so it can work for for." all the couples. I was like, okay, that's a great idea. And it was kind of like a collaborative thing. Yeah, I loved I love this. So I have to ask about the land. What what sure. tell, tell us about the property and mm -hmm. and and what led you to this property? What led me to this property? I mean, it kind of went back from my uh childhood. I just remember being at my happiest when I was outside um on an island. You get a lot of opportunities to run around outside and um I just remember 
you know, just being able to see like the rain clouds just go around like over the sugar cane fields and just the just the immense peace of just being outside in nature. And when I decided I was a little kind of done with being in the office nine to five, I was like, I need to get outside. I need to connect to my roots. I need to feel grounded. Um, it took us about three years to find property that really spoke to us. Um, we have a space on the property called, we call it the Broken Oak now, and it's where a lot of our ceremonies take place. And it's this beautiful, grand oak tree that um, we think maybe got struck by lightning or something like that. But basically, she's split in half. And she's kind of like, when you go to the space, it's really magical. And it's almost like the tree is like holding you in an embrace. And it was just what I needed at that time. I just needed to feel embraced by nature. So when I saw this tree, I was like, this is it. This is where I'm going to be. And yeah, that's how I found my property. <laughs> wow. That's that's a very cool story. And and I love that, you know, going back to your childhood, I, I grew mm-hmm. up in a very rural part of the United States. And I do miss that a lot of times, that, that space that you get when you have property that you can actually spend time on. Um, so so was this pre-COVID that you found this property or was it during COVID? Yeah, I, I think we finished wrapping up and building the house just as COVID hit. So it was it really was, again, just some very strange timing because I can imagine like most people being a little bit stir crazy when we all had to like stay indoors, but I just had this opportunity to be like outside in nature. Um, so I feel very, very blessed and lucky to have wrapped up everything by that time. It, it's just strange. Everything, the timing just kind of just worked out in a way. And I always like tell my friends when they're kind of like struggling, like I'm getting all this resistance or like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, sometimes you have to go with the flow. And honestly, it will just fit into place. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And and you're right. I mean, the during COVID, it was just such a different and uh, obviously yeah. unexpected time. Uh, but but uh, what what great timing on your part, and uh, like you said, a, a blessing to to have had that that time and that space. Um, and then to be able to turn it into an amazing business um, has been. Wonderful. I think um, for entrepreneurs, it's really important to kind of like realize the the timing of things and find like the white space and what's going on. Um, when I tell people I started an, an event business um, at the beginning of COVID, they're like, "How? What? How?" And it's it and it's like you just have to kind of find those opportunities if you really want to be an opportuneur. And then you kind of just like have to have like the the bravery to go for it. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of courage and a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of per- perseverance um, yeah. involved in exactly. So I think it was Steve Jobs that said the difference between successful and under- unsuccessful entrepreneurs is perseverance. So, yeah. but I, I do want to circle back to what you said about timing. Um, you know, <clears throat> timing is a really important part of opportunity recognition. I always talk about the, um, the, the etymology or the roots of the word opportunity. And it comes from the top, from the Latin phrase ob portu, which was back in the day when the ports were not dredged 
And so the captain and the crew had to wait until the tide was right to go to shore and the wind and the other conditions because, you know, they, they had sails. So, you know, there is a lot of timing involved and it goes all the way back to the root of that word opportunity because, but you have to also be watching if the captain and the crew are, are, you know, asleep during the high tide, they're going to miss that opportunity. So it's getting yourself ready, which is, I think, something that um, as I'm listening to you talk, you were doing all your life. You were exploring options, but you were able to bring together your passion for nature and being outside and, um, you know, serving others uh, together to, to create this. So what congratulations. What a great well, thank story. You. I'm, absolutely. I mean, being an entrepreneur is pretty tough and you do have to be resilient. If you can find something that you love and you're good at, and like it makes you happy and turn that into a business i think um you're you're halfway there to success well let's talk about that being tough thing uh what have what have been some of the hardest things that you've encountered about building uh this business um i would say you know it's it's like the best part and it's the hardest part is just working with people um Especially, um, I do a lot of weddings and it's a very important and sometimes stressful uh, time for people. So just being like understanding and kind of knowing, um, and have an empathy, I think is really important. Try not to take, take things too personally <laughs> as well. You know, um, it's really important for me. I, I kind of, am very much a people pleaser. Um, so there's some anxiety that goes along with that, you know, if somebody comes to you with a problem, you want to immediately launch it and be like, okay, I'll fix it. I'll fix it. I'll fix it. And part of what I had to learn was actually to not immediately jump in and fix it and more like take a pause. And then I like to say this phrase, like when they panic, you pause because it's no good if both people start panicking and we're all swirling, just take a Take a minute, understand where they're coming from, and then understand where you can meet them. You never want to kind of like go up across your own boundaries or, you know, um, feel like, um, not that you're being taken advantage of, but, you know, when it's stressful, you know, people can kind of push you past where you know that you can professionally go to. And it's really important to take that pause so that you can firmly plant your feet on the ground. Like, okay, I have a plan. And then also to calm their nerves too. So I think, um, long story short, <laughs> as an anxious leading person, learning to pause was one of the hardest lessons for me, yeah. especially in this industry. Yeah, I think that's a that's really good advice. I have a lot of that myself. And there's, uh, you know, we like to have certainty. Everybody does, I think. Mm -hmm. Uncertainty makes us all feel a little out of control. And um, so learning to be patient and and sit with that uncertainty for a few minutes uh, or for I know it's a little while. Yeah, it's, it's very it's hard. Thought to sit, but yeah. But the, but it's really great advice, and and I'm sure, especially in your industry, it works really well um, in in the space that you're in. So, what does it look like for um, you know? What, what do you do for your clients? I mean, obviously, you provide a space, but um, do you do wedding planning, or do you work with? Do you have a team of trusted wedding planners, or do you work with someone they bring? I mean, how does that all work? Sure. 
So um, I think there's like a big misconception uh, when it comes to wedding venues. Like, oh, they just provide the space, and like they the only the only thing that we have to do is really on event day, and is so far from the truth. Honestly, your venue should be kind of not your conductor that is your wedding planner, but you need to have a venue that can talk to every single vendor. So like every vendor is going to reach out to the venue. Not so much if you're the florist, like the florist isn't going to have contact with the caterer or the DJ, but the venue is in talks with every single vendor. So being able to have trust in your venue that they're very good at communication, kind of good at like, you know, coordinating to an extent to make sure that all the vendors have all the information that they need and know um, where they can and cannot do stuff. And then just the best way to um, kind of conduct the whole event. But I think when I started, it was a question of if I wanted to go into the planning side of things. But I think I am best kind of just sitting back and like making the space work for the couples and the vendors. Um, A big goal of mine is to make sure my vendors are happy. If my vendors are happy, my couple's going to be happy. Mm -hmm. Do you get referrals from vendors as well? Yeah, very rarely. I think the first step for most people is the venue. And then from there, they kind of build out their dream team from there. But I have occasionally had like some photographers have come out for like different events and been like, no, you definitely have to check out Mill Pond. It's beautiful out there and stuff like that. So, yeah, I do get some referrals. But honestly, your venue is probably going to be most couples first stop. Yeah. So so how do how do couples find you? Um. So usually I'm really good at Google ads. <laughs> so mostly people find me through Google ads and then a lot of referrals like, oh, I went to a wedding there or, you know, um, my cousin got married there and it was beautiful. Um, I get a lot of my um, bridal kind of um, parties through there too. Like I love doing those as well. So a lot of word of mouth and some Google ad wizardry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that that makes a lot of sense for what you're doing. So uh, do you have a team or is it mostly you? Are you more of a solo entrepreneur managing this this property? Oh, no, no, no. I have a team. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about that. How did that evolve? You know, what? Sure. Yeah, and, and and what are your what are what are your, um, you know, words of wisdom around building a team and getting the right people? Yeah, I would say be patient. It takes some time um, to find uh, a team that can work together. Um, And I'm still building out as well. Um, When we first moved onto the property, it was mainly just me and my husband, my mom. We have all these animals and they take out a lot of time. So actually a huge part of my team is actually just taking care of the animals for me. So I have time to do weddings related stuff. So building out um, people that help with the barn and I have a wonderful barn manager and a horse trainer. So um, you might think it's like finding team uh, people for your actual business, but it might actually be building a team around all the other stuff that you can't get to as well. Yeah, you had a big property to manage, right? And yeah. so, yeah, so, a lot of mowing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so y- your, um, you know, your your primary role um, is visionary marketer, but also coordinator and project manager, sort of. Would you say? Pretty much. And then I have, um, I just got a, a wonderful um, member called Amber. So she had wedding planning 
experience, which was amazing. So I was like, yes, I definitely need, like, you kind of look for the little holes in your um, organization. Like, I know I'm good at project managing, but do I know the intricacies of planning a wedding? Have I had the experiences that she has? No. So I brought her on and she's been a huge help. So together we kind of like, I'm the visionary. And then she's like, wait, Tony, but this is how weddings actually work. I'm like, oh, okay, let's do it that way. Then. That's how that makes a lot of sense. So you're, you bring in people and I think that's, um, you know, important for every entrepreneur to understand their strengths and their weaknesses mm-hmm. and try to maximize time spent on where they're really strong and let somebody else come in who can be, who can better take over the roles where you may not feel quite as confident. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It's great, great advice. So um, we talked a little bit about the islands having, you know, a lot of entrepreneurship. Um, and even though it wasn't necessarily your dream, did you have any role models growing up or do you now have role models or mentors that are important and maybe even instrumental in in your path? Yeah, I think um, in the islands, everybody's got like their little side hustles. Like um, I took my husband there um, a couple years ago and he was confused because everybody would line up behind these different vans and people were selling food and he's like what is going on so like you know everybody's like selling food and drinks and having that entrepreneurial spirit so I think like you know kind of like forging your own path is kind of like ingrained in my DNA I would say um my dad is a very big influence for me he started um well he joined a company in Barbados and kind of expanded to all the islands and then was the first kind of business entrepreneur from the Caribbean that actually expanded outside the Caribbean. And that's kind of how I found my way to Tampa actually, because they had an office in Tampa and then he expanded to Canada and then he expanded to England. So seeing him kind of struggle with people saying, why are you doing this? This is crazy. Nobody's ever done this. Um, kind of, forge the path for me like when people say hey nobody's ever kind of done it that way I was like okay well I'm gonna try so I would say that he's probably one of my biggest influences and supporters yeah that's that's great I, I had a mom who was an entrepreneur and I think you know even before we were calling it that, um, I was learning the entrepreneurial mindset of, you know, being willing to see opportunity, take action and then execute past failure. So it's, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, which is kind of the the model I use to think of an entrepreneurial mindset. Now you talked about animals and, you know, property. I know sustainability is very important to you and probably a big part of your messaging and, and animal advocacy. Um, those are passions of yours. You want to talk just a few minutes about that? How has that um, led you to the way you've designed this business? And you know what kind of a role does it play even in your business? Sure. So everybody blames my aunt because she had a mean horse called Plum and would bite and kick everybody. And that's where my love of animals started. I was in love with this mean horse. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I love animals. And um, the volunteer part of it comes from just trying to be part of your community and helping out um, in Barbados, we're very small island. So being part of the community is very important. Um, I started out volunteering at a place called the Sea Turtle Project. 
basically, um, because we do a lot of tourism in the island, a lot of our sea turtles were having issues finding um, their way back to the ocean due to light pollution. So I would go out there and like kind of um, help them find their way. I would help uh, categorize nests and like count eggs and stuff like that. And I was like, this is cool. So when I moved to Tampa, I immediately sought out opportunities of where I could also volunteer with animals. So I found myself at Big Cat Rescue for a little bit and then at a primate sanctuary called Suncoast Primate Sanctuary, all very selfless, beautiful people. So once I got really busy with work and I couldn't really volunteer as much, I was missing. I was like, I got to get back. I got to figure out how I can like, you know, connect to nature. And while I was waiting on some of the permits to start the wedding venue, I started playing around with flowers. Um, I noticed a lot of like just what I would have called previously weeds around my property, but how the bees were attracted to them and um, where the songbirds on my property, which trees they like to land on. And as we were developing, I was like, nope, don't touch this tree. This songbird likes that tree. So leave that tree alone. Or like, don't mow this patch of grass because I see that the bees like that. And I just started kind of working with like flora that I found around the property and like creating and designing with them. And that kind of gave birth to kind of like a, another idea of like, how can I make floristry in the industry a little bit more sustainable. Um, right now, a lot of our floor flowers come imported from South America and stuff like that. They arrive here. They're kind of unhappy sometimes. You know, they've traveled a long, long distance. Um, they've gone through many different hands. And I was like, wouldn't it not be cool if I could just grow flowers here? My couples can connect with them on this land and then harvest them for their wedding days. So that kind of um, created this idea about sustainable Florida floristry because Florida's a little bit tough. We have very hot summers, um, very humid. So kind of developing ways of doing um, growing flowers in an ecological way has been really kind of another passion project of mine. <laughs> Well, I love this story. You know, my mom was uh, a horticulturalist and she also was a florist. That was her business when I was growing up. So I love this. I grew up in that space as well. And I, I was, uh, before you even mentioned it, I was going to ask you about the Florida mm -hmm. heat and mm -hmm. dryness, um, you know, and, and how do you deal with the, the, the water needs on your property? Yeah. Do you have water, natural water? We do have natural water um, and we have a well. Um, the funny thing about that is the pond that we have on the property, um, we noticed that there was like a low patch and it was really, really muddy a lot of times. We're like, uh, we noticed that all the water was kind of draining towards this one area and we kind of wanted to figure out what to do with it. So we, we decided we'll just build like a really small pond, like just something cute, but you're in Florida. So you, once you dig, you're going to kind of hit water. And before we knew it, the pond was expanding, expanding, expanding. And we're on the excavator like, oh, my gosh, keep digging, keep digging, keep digging. And then uh, it just developed into this um, place where now we collect the water there. And 
Um, we've done a lot of planting to make sure that soil erosion is good. Um, there's just so much planning on like uh, just making sure the land is working for not only the people, the animals, but the wildlife that was previously there. We try to we're trying to implement a lot of rainwater catching now and see how that can go into the the flowers and the floristry. It's always just kind of experimenting, and every year. I'm working to get to my goal, which is complete sustainability with everything I do. Eventually, I want to work with local um, farmers and I want my menus to be from local communities and make that more sustainable. Um, You know, I'm just always trying to find ways to kind of like connect everything together. Yes. And that that's so wonderful because you're playing a role in making this planet healthier for all of us, healthier and happier for all of us. You know, if, if each of us does our part, right? And uh, I love that you're doing that. And I'm assuming you're using, I know you said you did import some plants, but you're assuming you're, uh, you're using uh, uh, fauna that's going, uh, uh, flora, and that's going to be natural to this area, right? And mm-hmm. And so when I get couples, couples asking me for doing my floral design, I always let them know that I try to be as sustainable as possible. Um, if there is a particular flower that they really, really must have, I'm obviously not going to be like, no. For example, peonies are very popular and they don't like Florida. Yeah. You know, so part of what I'm trying to do is like, okay, people like peonies. What kind of flower grows here that can you know, replace that. And my goal is to eventually like not import or connect with other um, small floristry people in Florida that maybe have different infrastructure for me. I was like, hey, what can you grow? What can I grow with what I do? And can we connect? And can we kind of create this um, this kind of floristry network yeah, in Florida? Yeah. You know, I'm- so one of the things I'm trying to do, uh, my goal is for every year, try to grow something here that I can substitute. Um, so I'm not importing flowers. In. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. And, and you're taking care of the fauna too, what, with doing all this, uh, by, by creating an environment that they're comfortable in as well. So I love it. Um, let, let's go back to the, 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 some of the, some of the aspects of the business. And you talked a little bit about, um, you know, that creating an environment, um, you know, for, for these weddings. And I think you use something called the blank canvas concept. You talk about that. What does that mean? Sure. Um, so when I was looking for a place to get married, (laughs) I was I found a lot of beautiful places, but I had this idea in my head and then I would go to the venues and they would already have a distinct style or a distinct look to them, which meant if I wanted to book them, my style would kind of have to change a little bit to fit into what they had already created. And this whole property was a blank space when I got it. Like there was no infrastructure here. And I was like, I have an opportunity here to kind of like make it mold into what anybody would want. For example, I've had like boho weddings here. I've had garden weddings here. I've had modern weddings here. It's, it's a design style of trying to be as less impactful as you can be um, so that the couple's vision can shine. So we have our sailcloth tent and it's all white. And I'm trying, and the floor is kind of a light color and everything's kind of like either blends into the scenery or it's just, it doesn't 
it's not too loud so that my couple's vision can be the loudest part of it, if that makes sense. Yes, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. So you really let them take center stage and the the property, uh, as you said, with your oak tree embraces them, right? And and (laughs) kind of gives them a hug while they're there. So I I really like that. You know, to do this kind, to create an event uh, space, whether it's inside or out, um, you mentioned licensing and permitting. And I know that's probably one of the biggest hurdles for um, many startups. They don't even know where to start with that. So could you talk about that? I know there must be a lot of uh, licensing and permitting rules uh, that govern the space that you're in. Yeah, so... I can talk for the event space. You're going to have to figure out what is allowed in your um, location as well. Like, is there a noise ordinance? How do your neighbors feel about you having parties every weekend and stuff like that? So because our land is zoned agricultural and I do have animals that I do breed and sell, I am technically covered under something called agritourism. Agritourism is relatively new in Florida. It was done to kind of help farmers get a little bit of profit. You know, farming is hard work and sometimes it's not a lot of profit in there. So agritourism was kind of created to help fill in some gaps and some holes for farmers. They could do farm tours and petting zoos and like bring people on to kind of just boost the income. So we kind of fit to fit ourselves into the agritourism kind of thing. And that helps us with permitting, licensing, and liability issues. Yeah, yeah. So um, that kind of reminds me that I'm guessing that you have uh, weddings where a lot of guests are going to be visiting Florida, um, you know. So do uh, do you have partnerships with local hotels or do you know, do people use Airbnb? Do you have neighbors that have Airbnb? How does that work? Or do you play any role in that? Yeah. So I have just recently started having some partnerships with some local um, hotels near me. We're really conveniently located. It's again, just luck, honestly, with how we found this property. We have hotels that are five minutes away. The Hard Rock um, is only 15 minutes away. So people can get here pretty easily. And I am in talks with, um, Sheraton's and something, um, some local ones and a beautiful bed and breakfast about how we can kind of connect and help each other. And another thing is too, like trying to connect with other local venues, you know, and see if we can kind of get like a Florida wedding visitors guide together, you know, like of our favorite places for visitors to visit when they come to Tampa. I really want to build community even around local venues like myself. Um, For example, if I don't have a date available, but I know of a local venue that kind of fits a couple's needs, I would, I would love to send them there and vice versa. So, um, yeah. (laughs) No, I, I think that's really great advice. And I think that's something that a lot of entrepreneurs don't think about. They only think of competition, um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to thinking about, um, how working together can sometimes, uh, you know, raise, it'll make make the industry stronger, stronger and help everybody. Yeah. 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 So you're located, uh, outside, um, it sounds like East of Tampa somewhat. Not very good at 
navigation. <laughs> Let me see. I'm 15 minutes away from downtown. I would say I'm a little bit more central than east. Okay. Um, kind of, oh, very close to Lake Tenota, Sasa, Ruskin area. Okay. That yeah, that's a little bit south, I think. Yes. Is it? Okay, yes. cool. <laughs> yes. Yes. That's, yes. So um, there's a lot of really uh, pretty property in that space. It, it mm-hmm. used to be primarily farming, a lot of that, um, tomato, yeah, a lot of tomato farms. are still farming, but a lot of um, places are being developed um, really quickly after like we bought the property, like we have a lot of development going on. Um, I guess Florida and Tampa in itself are, are it's just kind of booming. So um, finding this property now, I think was really lucky. Yeah. Yes. It sounds, it sounds like it was, a, it was, it was a great, great decision. And also, you know, there is a lot of sometimes serendipity, mm-hmm. uh, involved when you're on the right path and, um, but you've got to be ready for it and you've got to be looking yeah. for it. Cause I think we miss that a lot uh, in life. Yeah. So we talked a little bit earlier about this being hard work and we've talked about perseverance. So I'm wondering, I wonder if you would be willing to talk a little bit about failures, uh, things that happened along the way that weren't what you expected and what you learned from that, Um, because I know every success story has them. Uh, You just don't get to success without (laughs) taking a few turns. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so how do you think about failure? How do you think about uh, these challenges that sort of, um, you know, became obstacles along the way. And, and, uh, and I don't know if you have a story or if you have, have a way to share with our audience, how you deal with that aspect. I mean, I think it's important to reframe failures as more like lessons. I think failures comes with a lot of scary emotions and then you start to not want to take risks because failure is scary instead of seeing it as take a risk to learn a lesson, to get better. Um, I, I would say, I wouldn't say there were failures. It was just learning. Like every wedding is so different. I was like, Oh, we really need to work on this. We really need to work on that. Um, and just learning how to talk to people and engage with people and, um, just kind of, navigating that I think was the hardest part for me. And I did have some failures in communications and like, Oh, like a couple didn't really understand what they were getting uh, when they booked with me or this policy wasn't explained correctly. And just learning from that and learning to like um, be a better educator and a better communicator, I think is were some of the hardest lessons that I had to learn um, being in this industry. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can I can only imagine it's about clarity and communication especially a lot of what you do. Uh, my husband and I are, are sa- we used to be sailors. We now have a powerboat. But when we were sailing, yeah, when we were sailing, um, you know, it could get pretty nerve wracking sometimes communicating. And so we learned things like repeating back just to, for clarification yeah. and yeah, just really exactly. good communication skills. And especially, and you need to practice them all the time so that when you're in a stressful situation, they come naturally, right? Yes, absolutely. And uh, with the, industry that I'm in, there's a lot of stressful situations. There's a lot of like 
hopping on phone calls really quickly as like to nail some issues out, but you always will follow up with an email. Hey, this is what we discussed. This is what we're doing moving forward. This is how we're addressing the issue. And then just always having that in writing as backup, I think is really important. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, that reminds me too of, um, you know, I'm assuming you have contracts in these relationships. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know if you have any advice for early stage companies about finding a good attorney or designing contracts. Cause I would think that would be a critical part. Probably maybe you learned a lesson along and have learned a lot of lessons along the way Absolutely. that contributed to what you, you put in your contracts. Do you have any thoughts along that line? Definitely treat your contract like a living document and it's going to be updated frequently as you go about your journey. Um, I do find that a little bit and still a little bit challenging to find like um, lawyers or a firm that, um, kind of understands the intricacy of one, the industry that you're in, and then also small businesses. I find that a little bit difficult. Um, I don't think there are a lot of um, firms that know, understand the risk in like wedding um, industry too. Like you kind of have to educate them. So what really helped me was joining the community and hearing what other uh, previous uh, wedding venues, what they went through is like, hey, you might want to kind of add this clause in there. This is what happened last weekend at my wedding and this is how we're going forward and we're kind of just in communication with each other and helping each other like build these contracts that make sense and are fair for your couples Uh, i think with your contract always put your couples first always be service first and then also fiercely fiercely defend your business this is your business like you have to be the protector of that business so there's some policies that might sound mean they're not they're just there to protect you and also the couple as well yeah, so. yeah, yeah. I think that's great advice. You know, I have to ask you about pricing because a lot of startups really struggle with how to price. And how did you mm-hmm. go about determining the right price for what you do? I determined it kind of almost like my bandwidth and what I knew I could handle and what I couldn't. So I knew early on I wanted to kind of be more on the boutique side. I did not think that I had the capacity to be doing a hundred events a year. I really wanted to be able to kind of focus in on my couples and give them above average service and attention. So I knew I had to make the money that I needed to do with a limited amount of events a year. So that's kind of how I priced myself. Um, I did do some market research and I realized that a lot of venues struggle with this because prices were kind of all over the place. So I kind of just had to look at what my expenses were, what me and my team could handle and where it kind of made sense. And then also being honest of what you can offer and what you can't offer. Yeah, that I think that's that's really great advice. So uh, I'm uh, I'm really curious about, you know, uh, Mill Pond. And I assume that's the pond you built, right? And, and the name yeah. Miller, is that where that came from? You got it. Yeah. So actually, yeah. A, another name for it. So we have lilies in the pond. Another name for a lily pond is a mill pond. So it kind of uh, Yeah, that that's way. a great, great, great use of the name. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So I'm assuming that uh, you, yeah, well, not assuming, but I'm, I'm curious about what's mm-hmm. next for mill pond. You've, you've already designed, uh, it, it sounds like so many exciting, uh, you know, aspects of this business. And it sounds like you're doing well in the wedding 
space? And so is it, you know, are you trying to grow in the wedding space? Are you adding other kinds of events? Um, what, what is your, you know, what does the next year or two look like for? Oh, for yeah, I'm so excited. Um, definitely every, anything that has to do with sustainability. So, you know, still working on really ramping up floral production so I can um, service more of my weddings and more of the flowers there. I'm really excited about that. I'm getting a new greenhouse. I'm getting a plant together. So excited about that. Again, still reaching those connections with local farmers. I really want to kind of like um, do seasonal menus. It's not something that's done, but like I want to be like every year, our menu kind of changes to what's available, what's freshest, what what our farmers are producing locally and kind of showcase that it's, it's something oh, an idea that i want to play around with um definitely want to do different kind of events especially being in an outdoor event space summer's kind of hard for us so finding events that we can do during summer is great um we had food network out um about two years ago and they filmed like an outdoor grilling um web series which was cool so getting more creative projects like that like filming would be great um yeah just a lot i have a lot of ideas they're all buzzing around and and um one step at a time <laughs> yeah i can i can almost i love that uh, you know connecting with with food and i think that's very popular now and and people want uh, local uh, food. They want food that's, you know, organic and healthy. And so that that's really cool. I love that. And I love, I love having Food Network and, you know, maybe even next it's a reality show on <laughs> Mill Pond. Yeah, maybe. Hopefully they don't make me do anything crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that's the scary part about making that. But, but I, I love what you're doing. And I, I'm just so excited for you, Tony, and, and uh, your, your family there and the beautiful property you have. And I'll have to come out and check it out at some point. I oh, haven't seen I'll, it. I would so. love to host you. Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll tour you around um, by horseback if you're up for it. Oh, that sounds even more exciting. I love it. I love it. So I, you know, I could, I could talk longer, but I know you've got things to do. You've probably got some animals to feed and some plants to grow and some <laughs> weddings to plan. So I always end this show by asking if you had one piece of advice for our listeners, uh, knowing that most of them are entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, what would that be? Do the things that scare you the most. That's where you're going to find the most growth. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that. I, I once read a book called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And I yeah. thought that was really, that it was really instrumental at the time I read it in my life. So you're also doing something obviously that you're very passionate about. So that, that helps, I think, overcome some of that fear. So that, that's fantastic. So how can our listeners find uh, your business? How can they connect with you and learn sure. more? Yeah. So we have a website. It's www.millpondestate.com. We're also on Instagram, which is at millpondestate. Um, and we're pretty active over at Instagram. And then you can always like hop on the, um, e uh, the website and send me a quick email. I'm always on there all the time. <laughs> so you'll probably get a response back really quickly. Well, thank you. Thank you for joining me, Tony. This has been so interesting and so much fun. You're a delight. Thank you so much. I had a lot, a lot of fun. And hopefully we can uh, connect again on another crazy um, idea. I have. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love it. I would love it. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to learn more about entrepreneurship, we would love it if you hit that subscribe button. 
Thank you so much for listening to this episode of InFactor.